and welcome to Waterstones. Thank you very much. We're going to be talking about your new novel, The Wren, The Wren. And usually you might ask an author, so what's this novel about or where did your inspiration come from? But I think this is a novel that resists those sort of questions. Actually, it takes me a while to know what a book is about anyway. And then you go around, it's like a, a second fiction you construct yeah. to say, oh yeah, now that's what it's about. It's actually about the characters um, and it's about the way they think and speak and how those, and about their worlds. About, about. Well, uh, you're right, it is about the characters and that each of the three characters in this book have very different ways, I suppose, of, of communicating with the reader. Sure. So I thought we would start with a, that sort of stylistic approach. We have Phil, his daughter Carmel, and her daughter Nell. And we actually start with Nell, we start with the youngest in the book. Um, can you tell me a little bit about creating Nell as a character, and then we can talk about writing youth a little bit later. Okay, so I was writing Nell's mother, Carmel. Early in lockdown, Carmel is a tough nut. And she's tough in a way that, you know, Irish people might recognise. She's a very no-nonsense kind of character. Um, um, and I was writing in, into Carmel's character for, I don't know, quite a long time. I don't know how long. And I thought, I didn't know where I was going to go, as you sometimes don't. Mm. And, and I was kind of painting myself into a corner, really, with Carmel. And then I thought, what, what would happen if she got pregnant? And, you know, all the lights came on. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, the sun came through the clouds. So I got my character pregnant. Um, with, you know, take some logistics. Yep. You have to work all that out. There. Um, and then a nail arrived. Um, and Nell is this, has this quality that babies have of being utterly and completely herself from the first minute you see her. Mm. And that, that, that's something I've experienced in my own life about children. It's like, oh my God, there they, there they are, like somebody really differently themselves. Mm. So I took that quality into the character of Nell and suddenly I, I had the book. I didn't, know, I didn't know what book I was writing. And then when Nell came, she brought the book with her. So I gave her the opening then of the book. So uh, yeah, so Nell is a young character who is in many ways the opposite of her mother, but she's a bit like her grandfather, who mm. is this poet, Phil. Mm. I saw another interview, actually, or heard another interview, where you were saying that people keep asking you about Nell, about writing Nell, and you know how could you write a character who is young in today's world sort of thing? And, and you sort of replied, well, you know, I was young once, and I remember that. And you went back to your earlier writings to sort of think about how to approach that style. But what really struck me was that there's a difference between writing youth and there's a difference between writing contemporary youth, you know, what the youth are going through today. And she in particular is going through a sort of a particularly difficult relationship that she's in, which felt to me to be a very modern thing. Uh, you mentioned again that you had been reading a lot of novels recently, and I think I have too, where women are in relationships with men who are neglectful or borderline abusive or even straight out abusive. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how you approach that to make sure that you're writing somebody who felt real and genuine? Okay, so that was in the ether, one way or the other, if you're reading young, as I like to read young uh, writers, upcoming writers. So, I mean, even Megan Nolan, just a couple of years ago, was writing the, uh, in Acts of Desperation. But if you go back again to Emma McBride, A Girl mm. is a half poem thing, you're looking at a character who's in the full, uh, I mean, fully given over to abject um, abusive relationships, mm. abjectly given over to abusive relationships. Um, and this was like for a feminist of my water, this is new. Okay, mm. so we thought back in the day that everyone's going to have a good time. Okay, starting now. Okay, <laughs> now, starting now, it's all going to get better. 
So the idea that it is, that it that it took this kind of interesting turn um, was a bit of a challenge to me. But um, when I say, I mean, people aren't surprised when you write an old character. Nobody says, "How do you know about old age?" Yeah. I mean, but I I'm not old yet. Yeah. Um, and also, young young people sometimes get a bit territorial and say, you know, well, we're completely different. Yeah. So these things are not true. <laughs> they're just attitudes. They're just postures. And um, some of my early short stories dealt with a kind of uh, disconnection, fragmentation. Um, that kind of modernist space mm. that is a post-traumatic space mm. now is identified as a post-traumatic space and that is the place where those younger writers are writing in and from out of writing out of I think all writing is uh, is writing out of loss of some kind um, and so I so stylistically Nell is a kind of a modernist character in a way mm. and you know Young people have invented, of course, so much. <laughs> they didn't invent modernism. No, that's that's now. Uh, that's I'm being I'm being me. <laughs> <laughs> they can take it. I'm they sure. can take it. But Nell is there are interesting things about writing uh, the the younger uh, women writers. So someone like Sally Rooney is a political cast. So Nell has a political tilt to her because life requires that now mm. you know because she feels undervalued or unvalued by uh, the gig economy um, and by all the global machines of which she is a kind of a, a part mm. you know, a cog as you say she has this sort of fragmented narrative and that she is drifting somewhat in her life um what what's interesting is that she finds this connection with her grandfather um which she has through watching this interview of him from the past on TV. First of all, she reads his poems, though. Yes. So when she's growing up, she reads his poems. And she says, you know, when things got rough with her mother, she would curl up with Phil, who's mm. the grandfather, and sweeten the heart. Now, she never met him, but she read the poems, mm. and the voice is so gentle and so nice mm. um, that it makes a lot of sense to her. She needs that kind of, um, you know, tact. He's tactful. Yeah. <sighs> But you know, I mean, you do, you read things, and that is the, dis the, the disjunction that people are also getting their heads around now. You read this lovely work, yeah. and then you realize that the people who wrote it are not lovely. Yeah. And that's a late realization, and everyone goes going around clutching their heads, going, oh my God, yeah. it wasn't nice art or all. Well, let's go to that, actually, because... Um, actually, it's not always true. I mean, some of them are lovely. Some of them, well, oh yeah, and people are complicated, of yes. course. But there is this interesting thing about uh, particularly artists uh, or people who, who create and this idea uh, I was talking with Claire Dida recently about yeah. her book Monsters and there she talks about you know these monstrous men um, who are allowed to be monsters because they're channeling something great they're creating art and all the rest of it and of course Phil in, in this book is, is a poet who does abandon his family in appalling circumstances really um, because, uh, and this allows him to carry on creating his, his poetry um, but that has obviously a huge impact on Carmel directly, but there is this interesting, as you say, this connection between Nell and Phil, who feels this connection to the poems. And there's a point where it's said that it was so easy to hate him because of what he had done, but so hard to dislike him, and even easier to, to, to Devastatingly love him. Devastatingly easy. easy. To love him. Tell, yeah. tell me a bit more about that, because I think that's really interesting. Because this when he died, all the words went with him, yeah. is what she says. Um, they had all the words. He yeah. had all the words. Why had he all the words? Um, 
So he's very charming. Yeah. Um, and he continued to be charming, and uh, although the charm, as it sometimes does, uh, in, in later life, kind of detaches from the persona and doesn't feel as charming anymore. Mm. Uh, so that charisma gets a bit creepy at the end, towards the end. Of course, he left the family, in, and he, he did it in a kind of anguished way. So it's not like he didn't love his wife. He left her because he loved her. So that's the kind of nonsense that men were allowed to get away with in the day. <laughs> You know, yeah. because it was all about them yep. and nobody called it out about, you know, that maybe it should be about other people too. Yeah. And um, um, uh, my theory is that narcissism uh, expands to fill the available space. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that male artists back in the day were given lots of space, mm. still are to an extent given mm. lots of space. Um, and that women in general, uh, that kind of is quenched from day one and then repeatedly. Um, on day two, mm. and then many, many times mm. <laughs> on day three to the end of time, really. Mm. So you're not allowed to be monstrous. So when you complain about a certain style of man being monstrous, there's a jealousy in there too, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Why not me? Why am I not monstrous? Yeah. Well, what, yeah, why don't I get to, yeah. to do that? Yeah. Um, you mentioned there the, the words that die with him when he passes away. You have had to write these poems to put them into the book, which is... A, a, a big thing to take on. I, I, I wonder how you felt uh, creating these poems for for him. Whether that was much harder work, or was was it did it come easily? Or so there is one thing I knew about Phil about about this, the self involved and whatever else he was that his poetry involved a sense of reach. Okay, yeah. that he was looking for something higher. He was trying to escape his own problematic self. So do we admire that or do we call it out? Mm -hmm. um, and is the result beautiful? And what do we think of all of that? These are great questions. Well, I, I wrote the poems with great difficulty. I suspect Phil found them difficult to write too, so I wasn't too, too worried about that. It's really hard to write poetry. I felt like a complete imposter. So I kind of worked on his formation as a poet for a long time, you know, Paddy Kavanagh is always there, but you know, Porrick Cullum and Austin Clarke. And I went back through Austin Clarke to the bardic poets of the 18th century and went further back into 9th century Irish poetry. And that was just really lovely. Mm. So during lockdown, I was reading poetry in Irish for no reason. The way you did things during lockdown. Okay? That was the thing that I reached for. And I read these two poems about dead birds. Uh, one was about a bird that died of thirst when the, the, the lake became icy and it couldn't drink anymore. And the other was a poem about a, a, a lady's pet blackbird. And when in those early weeks when death was all around, I mean, it was the sense of, and these two tiny deaths from back in the, mm. you know, from centuries old little birds, mm. I just thought, oh my goodness, here I am. Mm. So it, they reached so... It, you know, so it was so piercing, the, the kind of path back to the poem was, and to the writer was so cl clear to me in those moments that I, uh, I, I, that I, I just, I, you know, went back into the Irish. When I, when, when I then realised Phil could translate from the Irish, I was just completely delighted. Yeah. Yeah. And then the way that the poems are placed within the novel means that there's this amazing juxtaposition that happens between the different styles of each character's sure. approach and then these poems. And again, I, I heard you saying that that is effectively how poetry often works, is that it has this juxtaposition of image and word that, that communicates something extra. 
So would that be what you were hoping to achieve with the structure of this novel, which for readers who are approaching it, it, it goes sort of not here, there and everywhere, but it moves around from place and time, doesn't it? I'm, I'm very surprised. I mean, I'm taken by the response uh, as I take the, you know, as I test the, the weather of the readership. I'm yeah. really taken by some readers who are saying, well, poems, I'm not reading them. Like, I have to, <laughs> I kind of get, what's going on in the book? I need to know. And others who get that they pause at the poem as a moment of stillness and meaning in the text that isn't quite ex mm. explicable in, in, in shorthand, you know, it's doing some, setting something else running in your mind. Um, but I'm delighted by the way the poetry now informs the prose um, and, and people get the kind of lyricism in the voices, which are quite colloquial and quite ordinary voices. Mm. But I've kind of or always put in a bit of that. Uh, it's always been there. That lyrical impulse, I've not necessarily trusted it mm -hmm. in my own writing process. So to kind of bring it to the to the to the front like this is is very good fun, very interesting. Um, uh, but it informs the, the 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 it informs the book, the rest of the book, which is great. And people say, why do you put Nell in the first ten, you know, first person and Carmel? And, uh, the, I, I'm now late in my writing pro process process say you know I did it because it feels right <laughs> and that's it's lit that's literally how it works yeah. you know, for me so I put it like that because that's them for me so Phil when I wrote Phil it's in an old old style I mean it's it's quite old-fashioned it's quite lyrical mm. and it's it's full of a there's a sweetness there that is on the edge of edges into fraudulence okay <laughs> We've sort of glided over Carmel and she's an intriguing character because of this thing of having been abandoned by her own father, then seeking to get control of her own life. And sure. that she wants to have a family, but she doesn't want the men to be involved. So yeah. she does this thing of, of getting pregnant and having that child on her own and, and keeping this incredibly close bond yes. with her daughter, or trying to yeah. anyway. Tell me a bit about writing her, because again, very different approach, third person narration and a very controlled prose. So I had a complaint that the men in the book were all very simple, but they're not actually very simple. They're quite complex. They are, however, disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, and the first disappointment, I mean, they have to be disappointing because of this disappointment from Phil. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when 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 Phil left, whatever Carmel was already became locked in, you know, around the age of 12 or so. So she shut herself down in this very kind of it's very hard to write her. She has people constantly accusing her of having no imagination. Mm -hmm. If she sees it, it, it exists. If it doesn't, it's of no interest to her. Mm -hmm. She's very practical. She's on her own. She has things to do. Um, um, and I like that practicality about her. But I found it difficult to stay in the narrative because, of course, you couldn't. T she, she's not going to sit and muse. Mm. She's not going to realize things about herself. She lacks insight. She's not interested in psychology. She's a known, you know, she, she, she uh, doesn't understand, for example, what anxiety is. You know, like, mm, mm. like you know, so she's very anti the sensitivity of the day, mm. you know. So Nell has that to deal with in her mother. So, but it was funny. It, it, it was comical also. But that that shutting down, uh, that literalism, produced a, quite a, an old style naturalism in the in the text in, in what I was writing. So she reads like you know quite a number of quite ordinary books. Which made me wonder how limited those characters are, mm. or why they're not 
uh, you know, suddenly breaking out into Virginia Woolf, you know? <laughs> how do you keep them? How do you keep them? Yeah. Confined like that. And why do we call that normal? Yeah, yeah. Because people's lives are much more interesting than some books would have it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've written about motherhood, and, and there is a huge aspect of, of Carmel's character which is connected to that. The fantastic description of, of when Nell is born and the baby is taken away from her, and she demands that it's brought back immediately, and it's like she will not let it go, that yeah. there is this special connection. Yeah. Um, and then another moment later on, which is the when you're talking about... Uh, people getting tattoos and stuff uh, and the mama hex being that whatever it is that you put indelibly on your body will always be the wrong word the wrong lover yeah. uh, the wrong place to put a shooting star and I thought it was really interesting because she thinks that the only thing to have on you is a heart and the only safe word letters are M-U-M so tell me a bit about that because it's so you're always going to love your mum aren't you yes, yeah. <laughs> <Got to laughs> it's do. like you don't have a choice it's like <laughs> it's built in um yeah, I mean, she has this astonishingly, you know, the the thing that Nell understands as they have their argy-bargy, you know, and, and, and the drama of separation is very interesting to me, the drama of separation and connection. The, the, for, for when, when Nell is born, Carmel looks, the baby looks at her and Carmel thinks that she knows just how lonely Carmel has been all her life. Mm. So, so, so the baby is both uh, fixes the problem, but also shows the problem. Or brings the problem into the room. Yeah. Um, and so the relationship all, doesn't always go well. Um, but underneath is this uh, absolute rock of Carmel's abiding love for Nell. And Nell kind of wants to get away from that. Thank mm. you very much. Yeah. But it's probably better in the long run to have it than be looking for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Coming back to, to Phil, and I suppose this idea of... of creatives obviously in your previous novel actress you looked at the relationship between uh, a mother and daughter where the mother was was an actress um, and you yourself of course as a creative who's written about motherhood and it seems to be there's always this thing in fact this brings me back to Claire Dieter's book where she talks about the the female monster if she could find one was the idea of the mother who abandons her child in order to create art so she looked at Doris Lessing and um, you obviously haven't done that with your own family, but I wonder whether you feel there's that balance as off, authors often do, which is that to really focus on their work means to neglect their children up to a certain point, and that that's this pressure that they feel that fathers often don't feel because, again, culturally, that's not placed on them. Yeah, well, what are the cultural expectations here, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, weirdly, wherever you are writing, you're in a room, okay? What's outside the room is not really all that important. Evelyn Wall had to be have his children in it separate wing of the house okay <laughs> so, but he was just you why is the room why is the outside of the room important you're yeah. in your head yeah why why do children intrude in some way even if you're not looking after them yeah so then you add the cultural expectations um i shouldn't use a friend of mine as a as an instance but she had problems writing and she said her her son needed matching socks and the socks had to have um, they couldn't be just socks, they had to have Superman on them or Batman or whatever. So she was running around instead of writing a short story, she was running around matching up socks and I just, to me, this just, I just didn't know what to say. And yeah. now I'm making a feck of her um, <laughs> by repeating this story because I would let them go barefoot rather than do that. I'm sorry, they can yeah. figure it out. I mean, or I did one day go, go to a shop and buy all white socks for one, for me, all black socks for 
yeah. my husband, all blue socks for my son, and all, you know whatever. Yeah. There's no. There's no sock business going on in my house. <laughs> You've employed the they're all, They can all cook. They're all really good cooks. Because they've learned to do that themselves because... Actually, their you... father's a really good cook. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's like... It's like I do... I'm, I'm being a bit too chatty here now. I should be saying high-minded things about motherhood. <laughs> but actually, there's an awful lot of stuff about motherhood that isn't high-minded yeah. and about love and apple pie. It's actually about drudgery and labor. Yeah. And some of it is unnecessary. And a lot of it, is, there's a huge weight of social expectation on yeah. it. Yeah. Well, as you say, I mean, th this idea that... Now I just get a pang of shame. No. <laughs> just go oh my god I'm neglecting my children <laughs> they're socks they're socks well because in many cases there, there will be a father and nobody's expecting him to know what the sock situation is there's a you know this famous idea is that if you ask most men what size shoe their children are currently the vast majority of them can't answer that question they won't even get within two sizes they have no okay idea. they don't yeah yeah and it's the mothers who are carrying what's called the heliostatic load which is the the, the burden of having to know all this information what size shoe are they when do they need to be dropped yeah. at that club you know uh, well i would accept my children to know their shoes <laughs> um and, and they're they're quite capable of that I think. <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose there is an independence i mean nell is an incredibly independent character up to a point and then of course that's why her in, her relationship with phelim is so interesting because she's but Nell, when she, when, as a toddler, right, I mean, Carmel is thinking what were her first words and she thinks um, they might as well have been Asher fuck it. You know, she's one of those toddlers yeah. that's heading out, heading <laughs> for the horizon. She's, and, and that sense of autonomy is, I do love it. I do, you know, personally. Mm, mm. Um, it, it, uh, apart from the fact that it involves less sock matching. <laughs> Um, just to finish off, as I said at the beginning, it's, it's a novel that will sort of resist that idea of like, what is this book about? But you, you have said that what you were looking at was this idea of, of language. What is language trying to do and, and when does it succeed and when does it fail? Would you mind saying a little bit more about that? Because obviously you've got the different forms of language in this book. You've got the poetry, you've got this idea of connection, disconnection. When are words enough and when are they not enough? Why is that such a fascinating uh, thing to, to write into so language to me is like uh, the pattern on say old curtains or something that it's nice but it dates mm -hmm. the way we construct it and that 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 slight patina of uh, datedness is really interesting in Phil's in Phil when Phil writes his poems or whatever and we can see things in those in his chapter now that weren't apparent to him even as as he was writing it mm. so that is really lovely to 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 play with um so you know nell can't speak any other way you have to get the sense of how the character is at their most at the the peak of their selfness um and that contains so much uh information there's so much information in the cadences, in the accent, in, in, in what they say and can't say. And Nell is not a tactful kind of speaker. She says things the way young people um, say things, almost to, a little bit to shock, I suppose. Um, whereas Carmel can't say some stuff at all. And Phil is, is not, doesn't even know that he's kind of lying to himself. Phil thinks he's being honest. Mm. 
but we look at his at, at his language and we go yeah okay is that too complicated an answer I, I just I want I want the characters to be fully expressed as themselves with it at a point in time you mm. know and so. then I suppose the the reader then completes that process right so that these gaps that you have in the so book. the gaps yeah. yeah the gaps the gaps <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well you don't want to be too plodding and um, your choices are also intriguing to yourself as you're writing the book you say why am I landing here um, so technically you have to fill a bit of the backstory here and there I'm actually getting more adept at that it's less of a, a head wreck mm. um, but you just say no this is important I'm going to stay here this is important this will yield what the story is about mm. at the moment now so as I say the longer I write the more my answer is it feels right you you stay where it feels right and that feels like the right place in which to finish our conversation and okay. thank you so much thank you thanks for, thank you that was very pleasant there we go it was very pleasant <laughs> <laughs> now the socks will follow me around oh.